Julie Ryan, noted psychic and medical intuitive, is ready to answer your personal questions, even those you never knew you could ask. For more than 25 years, as she developed and refined her intuitive skills, Julie used her knowledge as a successful inventor and businesswoman to help others. Now, she wants to help you to grow, heal, and get the answers you've been longing to hear. Do you have a question for someone who's transitioned? Do you have a medical issue? What about your pet's health or behavior? Perhaps you have a loved one who's close to death and you'd like to know what's happening. Are you on the path to fulfill your life's purpose? No matter where you are in the world, take a journey to the other side and ask Julie Ryan. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Ask Julie Ryan Show. I have such a treat for you. One of my favorite people on the planet, Alex Ferrari is with us. Hi, Alex. Hi, Julie. How you doing? I'm good. How are you, my man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Trying to uh, trying to get the word out, trying to get the spiritual word out to as many people as we can around the world. And uh, I am, I'm tired, but very happy. <laughs> well, thank you for staying awake long enough to talk to us this today <laughs> in this little chat we're going to have. I have lots of questions for you. I have pages of questions for you. Everybody, Alex is an award-winning filmmaker. He's a best-selling author. He's a podcaster. He's an entrepreneur. He's just an all-around fascinating guy. And uh, I know you're going to love him as much as I do, which is why I asked him to be on the show. I was We were talking before we started recording, and I said, in my on my team, we say often, what would Alex do? You know, it's like, what would Jesus do? We go into, what would Alex do? Kind of a thing. So let's just get right into it. What led you to go from making a movie about the the mob, of all things, to interviewing people who've experienced near-death experiences? That's a long conversation, my dear. But okay, uh, I started off in the film industry uh, when I was around 18 or 19. I went to, to college, and I consider that's when I started the, the in the business. So I'm now 30 years in uh, to, in the film industry or so. And uh, I, you know, I just love movies, wanted to be a movie maker, worked at a video store for all those kids listening. Uh, you could look up Blockbuster, and it was kind of like that. Uh, and I fell in love with movies and then moved to LA eventually, started doing uh, more directing, uh, working on big projects with big stars and so on. And then I, in 2015, I was kind of lost. Uh, had just got done with a three-year stint as a olive oil and vinegar gourmet shop owner with my wife, which is another conversation altogether, uh, where uh, I was kind of lost, uh, kind of burned out from the business. And uh, I read a book called The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. And that book kind of reignited my love for online business. I had a website in 98. Uh, I was I have one of the first YouTube videos out. I actually, I haven't found an earlier one yet, but I think I have the very first movie trailer ever put on YouTube. Wow. I haven't been able to find an older one yet. I've looked. The closest one is like four months after I released mine. I'm sure it exists, but I'm the I, I'm one of the early ones in 2005, 2005 or 2006, uh, before Google even bought it. So I was really into online businesses, but I kind of lost my way or just you know just found other things to do. And then in 2015, I decided to open up a podcast uh, when I thought it was too late. Uh, it's too late. Everyone's a podcaster now. I'm why am I been trying? I launched the podcast uh, in the filmmaking space first independent filmmaking space and I start interviewing filmmakers about their process 
And uh, I started telling the truth about what the business was like because I had a lot of shrapnel. As, as you said earlier, I almost made a movie for the mob, which is my first book called Shooting for the Mob, where I almost made a $20 million movie for the mob. So I definitely had some shrapnel um, from that experience. And that show within three months became the number one show in the filmmaking space on, on Apple. And then a couple of years later, I launched a screenwriting show and that one came number one as well. And I did very well with those shows for a long time. The shows are still going on right now, though much smaller ver smaller uh, versions of themselves as than I used to do, but still going. And then a few years, uh, about two and a half years ago, I have uh, I've had a spiritual advisor uh, most of my life. Uh, I met her when I was in my early 20s. And uh, she's been guiding me spiritually for years, uh, you know, kind of guiding me through this whole life, essentially. And then one day she goes, Alex, I think it's time for you to start a, uh, a new podcast. I'm like, oh, okay, well, what would you like me to talk about? And she's like, well, it's going to be a spiritual podcast. I'm like, what? Me? Why? Like, I'm no guru. I, I'm not a psychic. I don't, I'm not a near-death experiencer. I'm not a channel. I don't have anything. I mean, I've read, I've obviously been studying spirituality and, you know, maybe have a little bit more information than the common folk in that sense that I've spent at the time, but it's not, no way I'm an expert in space. And she's like, well, no, you got to do it and you've got to do it in three weeks. I'm like, I'm sorry, you want me to launch an entire show in three weeks? That's impossible. She's like, it is impossible for everybody else except you. So in three weeks, I came up with the name or the name was sent to me through a meditation. I asked for it and it came, um, launched the show, prepped the show, got my first few guests and launched on Easter of uh, 2021. And then started interviewing people here and there. I knew a friend of mine who was a channel. Um, his name is Daryl Anka. Uh, he, I knew him from the film business. So I brought him in, had an interview with the lead singer of Iron Maiden about spirituality and his life. That was an interesting conversation, how that came into my life. And a few of those episodes started to take off. But overall, it was still very, you know, chugging along, very, very small compared to my massive indie film space. It's just so huge. It's like spirituality and stuff. So then after a while, I got scared. And then I pulled back because I did not want to lose what I had er learned or, excuse me, earned in this the, the filmmaking, my career, essentially. Because in Hollywood, you really can't talk about spirituality out in the open very often because there's a stigma attached to it. You can't say God. You can't say, God forbid, Jesus. Um, or or even spirituality as a general statement, it just it's just not done, especially for a male uh, in in the space in in filmmaking. So I got scared and I stopped. I stopped doing next level soul. I said I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a three four month hiatus. I'm going to rebuild my other sites. I'm going to I made busy work for myself. Think then uh, Christmas of 2021, I had around at this point maybe 700 subscribers or something like that. I wasn't even monetized yet on YouTube. And my my spiritual teacher said, like, look, either either uh, excuse my language, shit, or get off the pot. If you don't do this, the universe is going to find someone else to do it because this has to get done. And I'm like, that's a lot of pressure. Uh, <laughs> so it's, I had a come to Jesus conversation. I, I, I yelled out to God. I said, okay, God, if you want me to do this, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to build this little set that you see in front of me, you know, behind me. And I'm going to go all in and I'm going to trust 
that you will protect me and my family and provide for us because I'm doing this work. And that was it. And then I had launched, relaunched it essentially, re rebranded it, rebuilt it, created a new website uh, in those few weeks, and then started doing two episodes a week, then three episodes a week. And now we're at, at a four episode a week, new episode a week mark, and just started pounding it and grinding and grinding and just didn't even think twice about it, just kept doing it and doing it. Not even worrying about the numbers, not worrying about any money that was coming in. I was just like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it because this is the job. I just looked at it as like, I cut wood, carry water, cut wood, carry water, cut wood, carry water. And then uh, July of that year of 2022, we had already gotten, I think up to around eight to 10,000 subscribers. So it was starting to grow, but it still was still creeping along. We had one video take off. It was like, oh, this, it was kind of like a hint of from the universe going, this is what's coming. It's kind of like a little bit of a, a blip to show, kind of give you, it's kind of like that carrot to just keep you going. They're like, hey, uh, oh, oh, okay, so this can get done. Oh, it was to show, it was kind of proof for me to like, hey, I know you're tired, and you're seeing what you want to see. Here's a little proof. So we saw that, and the numbers changed a bit, but it was still creeping along. But by the time we got to October, we were at, I don't know, thirty or forty thousand subscribers, which was a substantial amount of subscribers for me because my filmmaking channel had like eighty in like seven years. Then one day, October, I think it was, I think October 18th, uh, one of one video exploded. Then the next day's video exploded. Then the next day's video exploded. And then after that, we went from 75,000 views in a month to 1.2 million or 1.1 million. Then every month after that, it kept growing 1.85, 1.8, 2.2 to now we're averaging around 8 million to 9 million views on the main English channel uh, a month. And we're now closing in on 100 million views in such a very, very short amount of time. And now we've expanded to Spanish and we're going to be expanding to about 10 to 12 other languages in the coming year. We have a clips channel and we have a lot of other things as far as expanding the business and the, and the, and the message and the mission next year. But that's how I went to it. And now what I was doing in the filmmaking space is so astronomically small compared to what I do now on a daily rate, daily basis here in Next Level Soul that is far beyond anything I could have ever imagined. And it all started with trust and faith in God and faith in what I was supposed to be doing here. So that's a long answer to a short question. <laughs> well, I think it's it's really helpful though because we're all getting guidance in some form and mm -hmm. when you say your spiritual advisor, I'm assuming that's a human spiritual advisor yes. or it's a yes. spirit, yes, yes. spiritual I, I, advisor. I, I usually preface it. Yes, she is. She's alive. She's uh, a human. And still living. And, st and she was on the show. I had her on the show recently. So, okay. Uh, so, yes. Because we get guidance from spirit in a multitude of ways. And you mentioned the four-day work week was kind of, you felt like a little ping on that. Something, something's coming. I don't know what it is. I think of uh, something's coming. It's going to be good from West Side Story. You know, this song. I, it could be around the corner, could be tomorrow, could be tonight, whatever. But there's something else that's coming. And that was a big job for you to go from the movie biz into the spiritual. And it's interesting to me, Alex, that you say that spirituality really isn't talked much 
in Hollywood, talked about much in Hollywood, because I think so many of these screenwriters and all the creative process is those guys are channeling all that stuff all the time all the time all and i have these time. conversations and i have these conversations with them all the time behind closed doors yeah like out front they don't talk about it but the, most of them are all it's spiritual when i was talking to um bruce the lead singer of iron maiden he's like i go what do you think it comes from he goes i'm just a vessel it comes through me you know, it could, right. every good artist that I've ever spoken to understands that they are not the quote unquote creator. They are the vessel that it comes through and it's filtered through them. And it's their job to do the work to get it out into the world. But generally speaking, that's all channeling. You know, we're all being channeled. I mean, when I wrote my first couple books, I, I mean, I would write down something and then go back and read it and I go, who wrote that? Holy cow, that wasn't bad. Like, what was that? Who, I did the I mean, same thing. It happens all yeah. the time. So it's always happening. But Hollywood is, is is as much as it's, it says it's a liberal place, it is to a certain extent. But, you know, God forbid you say prayer or anything in dealing with spirituality in a public forum. It, it, it's just, I don't know why it's like that, but I think things are changing anyway. And I truly do believe that people are, are moving away from celebrity, moving away from Hollywood. I mean, you can just look at the numbers as a general statement, numbers of box office and things like that. I don't think it'll ever go away and I still have a tremendous amount of love for uh, cinema but I think it's just changing everything changes everything changes because we're going to streamers and we're going to watching stuff at home and versus the going to a movie theater kind of a thing is that what you're referencing yeah I'm, I'm referencing that as well but just as a general statement you know there are no real movie stars anymore movie stars don't matter as much the movie stars that you and I recognize are movie stars that were created 20 or 30 years ago. The Tom Cruises, The Rock. I mean, Rock's been doing this 20-odd years. I mean, I know he's I mean, I mean, he's not as old as Tom Cruise, but he's been at this for a long time. Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio's been around forever. These are these are the big-name stars. But, you know, now you see someone like Margot Robbie or Ryan Gosling. They're both amazing actors, and I love them both. But you put them in the wrong movie, the movie dies. And they both have those things happen to them in their careers. But back in the 80s and 90s, Arnold Schwarzenegger could have just been reading the telephone book and they would have shown up $20 million opening weekend. Yeah. You know, Tom Cruise could have just, I mean, he and he, you know, he made a movie called Cocktail and that made like a gazillion amount of money. Why is Tom Cruise being a bartender? Like it, it, it's, it was a different mentality. So I think we're, I think society is kind of moving away from that because now there's just so much more options. Now, YouTubers are are big stars you know my kids only know these movie stars i just laid out to you purely because they live with us and we're like oh that's tom cruise that's leonardo dicaprio from titanic oh titanic yeah that's where they know them from it's like either titanic or but you see what i mean so it's it's a completely different thing i think society in general is moving away from that and i think we're hopefully evolving beyond that spiritually uh as well i think and then we could talk about the, the human the shift in human consciousness and so on that is happening in the world and where we're all going but I think that's what what I mean when a lot of that is happening yeah interesting when I was little my favorite TV show was bewitched and uh da, 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 I could still sing the music for you of course and I when I was little I used to wish I could be like Samantha Stevens when I grew up and now I am 
you know, she could, she would call Uncle Arthur and Uncle Arthur would come in. She'd snap her fingers and she'd be in a different reality. And and I've always thought those screenwriters were channeling that stuff. And even to the point with J.K. Rowling and the Harry Potter world, I was at that one in L.A. in, in, um, what is it, Universal City. And I I was walking through, it looks like a movie set. The whole oh, it's beautiful. Harry Potter it's beautiful. world. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. And Hogwarts and the castle and the, oh, all yeah. of that. And I remember there were several occasions where I'd see something. I was with my son, Jonathan. I said, I've seen this. She's channeling all this stuff. I've seen this when I've been working with a client or, you know, working with somebody who calls into the show. Or I'd read something and it would be something that wasn't out of one of her books, but it was, or maybe it was, I didn't read the books. I saw the first movie, maybe the second one too, but it was something that I'd heard from Spirit and she was just channeling it. And and like you, when I wrote my first book, Angelic Attendance, I'd write something and then later I'd go back and read it. I go, I don't remember writing that, but it's pretty good. So, exactly. Happens all the time. Yeah. Most people have a fascination with the afterlife. And with things spiritual, even if they say they don't, when something comes up, it, it resonates with us right. as humans. Would you agree with that? Why do you think that is? Oh, because it's the great unknown. We're all going to die. We all know we're all going to die. So whether people want to talk about it now or whether they want to talk about it under deathbed, they're going to talk about it or they're going to figure it out unless it's a you know a tragic accident that takes them away quickly but generally speaking in the normal stages of of life you're going to start thinking about it my audience is not 10 year olds though i do have some very highly evolved 10 year olds apparently listening um you know but generally speaking they're all 35 to 65 and over because when you start getting into your older years you start like oh i'm I've I've already walked more miles behind me than I have ahead of me. And that's what you start to think about. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. I'm over halfway through or I'm about to get halfway through. If you just do basic math, you know, even if you use 100 years as a, a reference point, you know, there's only so many more years that you have to walk the earth. So you start asking deeper questions where when you're younger, it's all about the physicality, the 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 indulgences of the physical experience, you know, whether it is sex, some people drugs and alcohol, some people food, some people just just experiencing all sorts of stuff or conquering your power. If you're a guy, a lot of times there's that energy there. But as you get older, hopefully you're evolving and those things start to go to the wayside a little bit and you start to look inward a little bit more. And that's where I think people, even if they don't admit it, they all have these these questions about, well, what happened to grandma? What happened to Aunt Susie when she passed? Is she is she okay? You know, these are questions that you don't generally get at an early age, generally, unless you have a death in the family. You don't even think about like I didn't have any any major deaths until I was in my mid to late twenties. My grandparents were all alive until then. Um, so that's when they started to pass. And that's when you start asking these kind of deeper questions. At least you you will eventually ask these deeper questions. And some people look into it as a, as a curiosity. Other people look into it with a tremendous amount of fear 
because it's the unknown. It's, the, it's literally the great unknown. But people are fascinated with it. And that's why near-death experience stories have become so, um, so popular in the zeitgeist because people are interested in people who died and came back and can prove that they died and came back and what they saw on the other side. And, you know, and, and I have a very unique uh, perspective on all of this because I get exposed to so many, I mean, I've spoken to over a hundred plus near-death experiencers. I speak to channels. I speak to psychic and mediums like yourself, um, you know, at all levels. Um, and when you start to put it all together, I mean, I, I have a point of view of like, I can see where all the dots are connecting. I can see it. I rarely run into somebody in my show that doesn't reinforce something that I've already know to be a truth, or they might just have a little bit of different flavor to it, but the core is still the same. You know, so near-death experiences, generally speaking, all have similar things happen. Some different flavors than others. Some don't have things. Some do have things. But generally speaking, love is on the other side. Uh, great amount of love. Uh, all these, you know, things that, that there is a, you know, a soul, a soul blueprint, a, a soul plan, why you're here, why you're learning. You have multiple lives. These concepts that have been talked about for thousands of years, I'm starting to see the lines connect. And the more I do the show, the more people I get access to, um, the more I really have a complete knowing of what is what is the other side. Again, I don't know everything about the other side, but that there is another side. There's not even a doubt in my mind. I have no true fear of death. Uh, the only fear I would have of death is what would happen to my loved ones after I leave. That's the fear I have, not of me going. Uh, and also I would be upset because I have a lot of work to do. Um, I'm like, it's not my time. I've got stuff to do. But uh, but at a certain point, it, it will be my time. It'll be your time. It'll be everyone's time. But it's not something people want to talk about. Nobody wants to go, you know, you're not always going to be here. This is a very difficult conversation to start. So, I, I, Julie, I talk for a living, so I will continue to talk for another hour. So you need to stop me. So I will stop. <laughs> well, I'm I'm laughing about my spirit guide, Pope Clement the Sixth, who came in ten years ago or so. And he says, "You need to teach the world what happens when somebody dies." And I said, "Yeah, I'm not doing that." And he's like, "No, no, you need to because you see what happens." And there's a lot of information about near death experience and a lot of information about the afterlife. And a lot of information about grieving, but not much about what's happening as we're transitioning. Mm -hmm. And he said it's been so bastardized and people are so afraid that, you know, you know what happens. You witness it. I witness it with clients with whom I, I work and also being able to talk to any spirit at any moment. And so I think when you say you're not afraid of death, that's a huge statement. And the work that you do and the work that I do helps people not right. be afraid of death. Because when we're going through the end of life with a loved one, not only are we grieving the loss of them, oftentimes in advance, but we're also being faced with our own mortality. Like, oh, my, I'm going to be there at some point right. and I'm going to be in the same position. What's going to happen to me? So that's a profound statement. Furthermore, I I have a lot of clients with whom I 
work that we're talking with a deceased loved one's spirit or spirits, several people. The number one question they always ask first is, are you okay? How are you doing? Right. But, and I want to say they're in heaven. It's nirvana. It's they're all fabulous. But we've been so inundated and conditioned into oh, thousands of this. years. Yeah, thousands yeah. of years of that. Thousands of years by religion or organized religion that's been hell and oh my God, did they make it or did they eat bacon on the wrong day and now they're in hell? Like that's ridiculousness. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole evil spirit thing too, which I get all spirits are pure love. It's all about love. You know, it's all it's all love and joy. Did you grow up in a spiritual home? Do you come from a spiritual family? I, I, I'm a recovering Catholic. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm a, I, uh, I went to Catholic school. And uh, for most of my most of my uh, youth up until high school, and uh, I mean, you went to church, you know. I got I got the the I was scared to death uh, because a priest came in in first grade and said that taught taught me about hell. I'm like, what? Like it it's it just like it freaked the hell out of me as a as a as a first grader. Can you imagine telling a first grader about hell? I tell my children about hell, they laugh. That's how evolved they are. They just go, that's ridiculous. Like it's it's like they understand about the the other side, and but they're like hell. Why would if there is a God and He loves you, He or she, whatever you want to call it, loves you? Why would they throw you into you know everlasting damnation because you made a mistake or two? Everyone makes a mistake or two here. That's the point of this whole thing: is to learn, make mistakes, and learn, make mistakes, and learn. So you're here to grow and to trip and to fall. It's like when you're first starting to walk, you're going to start yelling at the baby because they didn't get it the first time. It makes no sense. So this kind of this kind of dogma that's been kind of thrown upon us generationally is what's causing it. But I wasn't very spiritual. Uh, I mean, I believed in God. Um, I, I as I got older, I just started to ask questions. Even in 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 elementary school, I'd be like, so if I kill someone today. And I go to confession, do seven or eight Hail Marys, I'm solid. And I can go out and do it again and then just go. And like, it just didn't, just the, the, the point of, you know, cause and effect, even at such a young age, didn't make sense to me. These basic ideas just didn't, and then you start to de de uh, deconstruct a lot of the dogma. And you're just like, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. So after a while, it just was like, eh. So then I started to search for other avenues and go into Eastern religions and yogic philosophies and yogic, the Vedic texts and, you know, reading autobiography of a yogi and, and started to go down those roads. And that started to make more sense to me going into Buddhism and Taoism and Hinduism uh, and, uh, you know, Confucianism, even all of these different um, philosophies of way of looking at life. I'm like, oh, that makes a bit more sense. Oh, karma, that makes a lot more sense than this other thing that these guys were talking about. Like these ideas um, started to make sense, but that's how I kind of got into spirituality. But it was always something that really just um, was in me. Even at a young age, I was always looking into it, but I had no abilities. I never saw any, nothing. I never channeled. I never did anything like that. That wasn't my path, uh, you know, early on. Not that I have those abilities at this point, but I have a feeling that I have a little bit more of that stuff going on now uh, on the back end behind the scenes than I did before. 
Yeah. Well, you have a real joie de vivre. You know, you have a joy for life and an infectious laugh. And when you really get going on something that's funny to you, your energy field just gets massive. I mean, it expands out like galactically. And and so do you believe that the spiritual pursuits that you've been involved with for the last few years are expanding you spiritually? I mean, I know they are intellectually, but just from a spiritual standpoint, no I know question. you meditate sometimes for long periods, mm-hmm. every, pretty much every day, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, meditated today. Yeah. Meditated Tell us yeah. about that. Why do you meditate and how has this been just from a spiritual evolution standpoint for you personally and what effects have any of you seen that's had on your life? So to answer your first question, absolutely. My spiritual understanding, my spirituality within has grown leaps and bounds. Uh, I've become a much more mellow person than I used to be. When I was a young man, I was extremely angry uh, at a lot of stuff, uh, you know, stupid young man stuff. Um, And then I would be very short-tempered when I was a younger man. And, you know, being married to a good woman has helped dramatically. Uh, with that, uh, being able to, you know, a good woman will calm a man down <laughs> without question. <laughs> uh, but overall, in the spiritual side of things, um, my understanding of life has changed so dramatically in the last six, seven years. I started meditating deeply around six or seven years ago uh, when I was, again, told by my spiritual guide to do so. And, uh, kind of started going down that road and it was very difficult. I tried meditating so many times in my life, but I just couldn't keep that monkey brain down. I couldn't, couldn't get it. I wasn't ready yet. And it taught me something about evolution uh, and preparedness. Like when you're ready, the, the, the skill, the book, the knowledge will present itself. Uh, not before. Uh, you know, if I would have told myself six years ago that I would be having this conversation with you about my show, what we're doing, or my life, I would have said, you're out of your mind. You are insane. This makes no sense. You're going to be a Spielberg. What's wrong with you? And I'm like, yes, I understand. And I would slap him in the face. Uh, <laughs> I'll go, no, no, calm down. But, but yeah, meditation for me has really balanced me. And I've been able to get answers to life's deep questions. For me, meditation is a very more of a, it's a spiritual practice as well as a physical practice. I've had a lot of health benefits from my meditation, uh, just blood pressure, things like that, calming things down. But for me, there's been a lot of mystical things that happened during my meditations. As you start going deeper and deeper and you practice longer and longer, doors begin to open up uh, in your in your consciousness, if you will. And as I've talked to other, you know, Tibetan monks and yogis who've meditated for decades, they concur with what I've experienced and am experiencing to this day. And it's never ending. But meditation has been such a powerful part of my life that it's something I can't uh, not do. I feel weird when I don't do it. Um, I like my body doesn't feel, it's just, I, I'm off when I'm not meditating. So. It's, uh, it's definitely a big, big part of my life. And I advise everybody to try 
at least try it at whatever level it works for them. Can you share some of your experiences that you've had while meditating that you said were really extraordinary spiritual well, experiences? Well, one was simply a, like, okay, God, I need a name uh, for this show that you want me to do about spirituality. And if you want to give me this name, that'd be great. And I also need to make sure I have the URL for it and I need to be able to trademark it. So good luck. I like challenge the universe of like, get me a name that's going to work because in this spiritual space, everything has been used. I mean, everything, you know, this as well as I mean, it's been, a, I mean, it is one of the most bastardized. So many people have used names in this business. So I was like, and then all of a sudden these three words just popped into my head and a voice just said next level soul. I was like, Hey, that sounds pretty cool. I like that name. Let me check it out. So when I got out of my meditation, I took like, oh, all the URLs are open. They checked the trademark office. Nope, no one's trademarked it. No one's even close to it. All right, let's get it going. So, I, and that's how it starts. So that's one big thing like that. Um, I've had, you know, visions of things. Uh, I've had, I don't know, doorways opening, almost psychedelic, almost psychedelic in sense. Not that I've ever had a psychedelics experience, but like I think doorways opening to, I wouldn't say different realms, but different images would come up. Um, I've seen past lives in my meditations. Um, at least I, that's what I consider past lives. So I'm like, oh, that's why I'm afraid of heights. Okay, that makes sense. You know, because I see something happen there. Oh, that's not afraid of heights, but you know what I mean? Like, oh, that's why I don't like high places all the time. And Oh, that's why that's that. I'm like, okay. But these little things will pop up here and there uh, in meditations. But I mean, there's there's been a, a ton of them, a ton of them. Most of us have busy lives and we know that we're not getting the nutrients and the vitamins and the minerals that we need. So I'm always looking for easy ways to ingest them. I found one, it's called Beam Minerals. And what I find is that most of us don't get enough potassium, magnesium, and calcium. Those are the big three. And so what Beam Minerals does is it's put all these minerals in a liquid form that's easy to drink because it tastes like water. It's got all these important minerals and a whole bunch of other ones and I find that they're really helpful. They save me time. They're easy to take. And I suggest that you give them a try. Go to Beam Minerals, B as in boy, E-A-M, minerals, plural, dot com, and use the code Julie Ryan, altogether, no space, at checkout, and you'll get 20% off your order. That's Beam Minerals, B-E-A-M, minerals.com and use Julie Ryan at checkout and you'll get a 20% discount. Give it a try and let me know what you think. Tim, my husband and I were visiting my brother and sister-in-law in Chicago and I was being led to write a children's book <laughs> and I was laying in the guest room bed. Tim was already up and I heard angel messages for kids. I thought, okay, same thing. I'm thinking, oh, that's not available. And same thing. I need to trademark it. I need to be sure the domain's open. And I need to be sure, you know, that I can utilize this. And so I did lay in bed. <laughs> I checked to see if it was trademarkable. Yes, it was. Then I checked to see if the domain name was open. Yes, it was. And I thought, okay, there we go. 
when do you get these, what I call divine downloads, which is uh, you're being led, obviously. Obviously, yeah. And all of us are when we get these divine downloads, we get a thought in our head. What's your process to be able to discern whether it's something to follow or not? I mean, especially being in the movie business where there are a lot of phonies, I would imagine, in every industry there are. But what what's kind of your meter that you utilize to say, okay, uh, I'm going to explore this? Oh, the gut instinct. Uh, there's, there's a difference between ego, the egoic mind, and the, uh, the divine mind. That's a, even a term that's ever been used. I don't know. I just came up with it now. I'm sure someone has said that before, but the divine mind, meaning that, you know, when an idea pops into your head and it's to feed the ego, which I've been there and I understand that feeling, you know, having a thousand companies, having a thousand things, having a thousand plates to make yourself look bigger, feel bigger, say things like, hey, I got this project, that project. I mean, I've gone through all of that already in my life. Or when you're like, how can this serve the mission? How can this serve others? And if it's coming from that place, you feel differently. It's just a feeling and it's a very difficult thing to quantify. It is something that you feel. It is a gut instinct that you feel where things that are coming in now are much more on mission than they are on ego. And if they are in ego or if I suspect that they are in ego, I'll sit it on the, on the table or on the shelf and I'll let it, I'll let it percolate there for a month or two. And if it's still there, then I reevaluate it. And then I'm like, okay, is this, what is this really going to do? Is this going to help? How is this helping other people? How can this help the greater mission? These are questions I ask um, before I start in, in getting involved in a new project or a new thing. Um, you know, I, I will make a movie, one, one more movie probably before I go in this life. It'll probably be the mob movie um, because it's something that I want to do, not for myself, but to help others understand what it's like to be abused and, and caught up in something that you feel that you can't get out of and to show people that they can get out of that situation. Um, and I had a pretty extreme one to say the least. Uh, but that would be, that would probably be something that I would want to do. And that's not coming from a place of ego because I could care less about the fame or fortune or I don't care about becoming a huge movie director anymore. If I make movies, I'll make it in service of others or in service of a story that I want to tell that can help others. But the days of, of me just doing something for my sake only, I don't know if I, I, I might be wrong. It might come back, but right now it's not something I really am interested in. Okay. So you can't just leave everybody hanging about the mob movie thing. I know a little bit about it, but please share what happened on that movie. So I was 27 years old and uh, I was brought into a movie. It was a $20 million movie. Um, for an ex-gangster, and he uh, was a quote-unquote rehabilitated gangster and he wanted to make a movie about his life. So what? Uh, by the time I had figured out what was going on, I was already too late. I was already in kind of in the web. And I, at 26 or 27, I had no defense against someone like that. Like I... I knew nothing how how to deal with a a bully and a bipolar 
um, narcissist, psychopath, essentially, a sociopath uh, at that level. I, I just had nothing I could do against that. And I was thrown into the gambit. I was, I was with that project for over almost a year. And, you know, our offices were in a racetrack. I mean, you can't, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, our production offices were in a racetrack that looked like from the 1950s, like, you know, Frank Sinatra would be walking down the street at any moment. Um, and that, and the story of that, of us trying to get that project off the ground, getting money, all this kind of stuff is a great story. But then Hollywood took this psychopath seriously and I was flown out to LA and I met the biggest movie stars in the world, billion dollar producers. I'm at the Chateau Marmont. I'm at the, the Ivy. I'm at Spago's having dinner with actors. Uh, you know, I'm up in the Hollywood Hills and I'm like, this has to be my, my shot. How would, why would the universe get me so close? I even got to meet Batman, June. I ah, went to, I which went one? To, I, I can't tell you. You have to read the book. Um, but it's <sighs> one of the Batmans. I went to Batman's house, went to his mansion, and I'm there, you know, two feet away from Batman for three hours talking movies and talking how he's going to be part of my project. And I'm like, this has to, I mean... Has this all has to happen? I mean, why would the universe do this to me? And that was basically where it was till I was finally let go, thank God, mercifully by this man because I was I was just I was just done. I was wasted. I was in a depression for two or three years after that. I didn't even make them. I didn't shoot anything. I wasn't even in the business. I was selling comic books on eBay to make a living because I was so destroyed. The PTSD was so massive. Uh, and I almost went bankrupt. I, it's literally about, it was about two days away from signing the bankruptcy paperwork when I yelled out to God, because I put myself so in debt dealing with this. I wasn't being paid. It was you know, all this kind of stuff and other stupid mistakes I made along the way as a young man. And I yelled out to God and I go, God, if you want me to pay, I want to pay my debts, but I need help. And if you don't get me a job or you don't get me some sort of help, I'm going to sign this paperwork so I can protect myself. But if you send me work, I will do it. The next day, my very first boss ever in the business, was my internship that I had when I first started, calls me up out of the blue and goes, hey, I don't know if you're looking for any work, but they're looking for an editor up north. Um, I already called them and told them about you and they're interested. Just all you got to do is just drive up there with your demo reel. I did. I got the job and I started working my ass off and got myself out of debt. Um, but that was such a profound experience of yelling out to the universe for help and the universe next day having a phone call made like that. It was pretty powerful. It's hap that's happened to me a few times in my life. A few times. Asking you shall receive, right? Yeah, well, this and that's what happened with the show. I mean, I just said, okay, I trust that you're going to have faith that you're going to take care of me and my family. I'll go and do the work, but I, I need help. And help help came as as you have seen <laughs> well and i think that's a really profound concept too because most of us are taught especially if we're doing something entrepreneurial that we've got to have measurables and we need to look at the statistics all the time and we need to you know have goals and la 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 la, la and all that stuff and and you're a great example of just stepping out there and going, okay, lead me. And then 
certainly you're looking at the measurables, but you're not focused on them. You're focused on what am I doing to help the masses? How can I create a better product that serves more people? You know, is that a right? Is is that a correct assumption? I think it is a correct assumption. I think something that people really need to understand as well is that there's going to be multiple things that need to get done on this planet at certain times. So certain ideas have to be birthed at a certain time. So when H.G. Wells started to create these amazing books about time machines and 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 uh, uh, Frank Baum created Wizard of Oz and these ideas, those, those kind of stories didn't exist 50 or 100 years prior to that. Nothing like that really existed. But those stories inspire generations. I mean, you know how many people from the space program go right back to H.G. Wells as the inspiration. And that's what started. So there's these ideas that need at certain moments in human history have to come out. So perfect example is for whatever reason, uh, the idea of dinosaurs had to really come back into the world. And what did the universe do? The universe gave that idea to Michael Crichton. Hey, what what if humans worked around? Okay, great. And who did he give it to? Probably one of the only filmmakers on the planet that had the power, ability, talent, and experience to create a movie called Jurassic Park. And that came out so perfectly in timing. And, and, and that, that, that idea wasn't given to me as a 20-year-old or a 17-year-old. That idea was given to people who could execute it. So I think that that is something that when the time is right, these ideas have to be birthed. These missions, these passions have to ha- have to happen. You know, love them or hate them. People like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, these giant millionaire billionaires, they're doing things that has changed the way we live our lives around the world. Better or worse, it has changed the way we look at things. Um, you know, from Steve Jobs in the tech world to you know Henry Ford, Edison, Tesla. Nicholas Tesla, not the car. Uh, all of these people, they change humanity. And I was listening to a book the other day um, called The Psychology of Money uh, by Morgan. I forgot his last name. Such a great, great book. Recommended to everybody. They were saying that 15 billion people were born in the last, I don't know, 2,000 years, let's say, on this planet. But in the last 100 years, nine have made the most impact. One, you know, nine, let's see, we picked nine people that made the most impact on human history. Hitler, Stalin, um, I think Martin Luther King, uh, Gandhi. Uh, and they just started listing out a handful of people. And you're like, well, yeah. You know, it, it was just really a handful of people that really shifted. the. I mean, there's a lot of other people doing a lot of other things, but those people were put here to do those jobs regardless, negative, positive, whatever it is, they had the missions to to run um, on a spiritual standpoint. Well, I think too, to your point about ideas, certainly there are many references to spirits in literature and in every holy text and angels and, you know, and all that kind of jazz. But, But also there are ideas that need to percolate that, when it comes up to the perfect time for them to be released, 
then it makes sense. And and then all of the stars align. I would say we meet the people we need to meet right at the exact perfect time that we need to meet them. And they open doors for us and for others. So back to the NDE topic. Let's go back there and revisit that for a minute. Do you believe people who've experienced an NDE chose that path before they were incarnated? Yes and no. So from my understanding of talking to NDEers, they, uh, some of them do, that it's kind of put part of their, their, their blueprint. Others, in other words, from my understand, there's a soul blueprint that you set up with your spirit guides, council of elders on the other side. Uh, and you're like, hey, in this life, I want to be born to an abusive family because I need to learn that lesson. But then I'm going to be rich and famous because I need to learn that lesson and, and all the trials and tribulations that come along with that. And then I would, uh, so you can learn all of that. And I also, you know, let's throw a little bit of uh, alcoholism in there or let's throw a little bit of addiction in there as well because uh, I want to kind of go through all of that this time around. And they're kind of putting together this list of things that they want to go through in life. And then throughout life, there's exits that they can take. So they're like, okay, in this light, let's, let's put out exit of 32, possible a doorway to exit 32, a doorway to 52, and at uh, that's 60. And these are windows that they can take, like off ramps. And that's when near-death experiences happen sometimes. If they want them to happen, if they need to happen, those are the moments where they can kind of go off, be reminded of what they want to do. And that's why there's always a choice. Do you want to go back? Do you not want to go back? A lot of times they're like, you can't go, it's not your time yet. And they're kind of not forced back, but pushed back uh, gently back into their experience. But from my understanding, you do choose it sometimes. That's the one way of going about it. The other one is sometimes, and these are deep, long, big conversations. So I'm going to explain it as best I know, and I'm no expert, that sometimes you've gone off your track so far So like, let's say I needed to be an astronaut. I needed to be an astronaut in this life. I needed to be an astronaut. And I am now, I am not an astronaut anymore. I have decided to dance. Uh, And I'm just going to dance. I'm going to be a dancer. And, but I really need to be an astronaut. That's my point in this. I, I chose to be an astronaut for whatever reason. I've gone off the trail and now I'm dancing. There's going to be something that's going to, a near death experience sometimes is thrown in at that moment to kind of shake you up and go, hey, this is your path. Do you want to just clock out and start again? Or do you want to get back on road? Because this is what you wanted. And that's what the spirit guides and the other side kind of do. That's my understanding of it, my rudimentary understanding of it. You mentioned earlier about some common denominators that NDEers experience. We hear a lot about the tunnel. We hear a lot about pure love. We hear Eben Alexander talk about the heavenly music, the celestial music that each level took him higher and higher on that. Do you find that there's a type of personality that experiences an NDE as well? Or is that just all across the board? It's everything I've had. I've had to, I've spoken to Dr. Eben Alexander, who is a complete atheist and complete logical person who now is not, to a, you know, a person who was in the spiritual space the entire time, and they jumped. I've had educated people, I've uneducated people. I've had every walks of life. It, there is no personality type 
that you can, I mean, from military people like Suzanne, oh, not Suzanne Gisman, but but military people um, that have hap- had, had near-death experiences on the battlefield, after the battlefield. I've had doctors, I've had nurses, I've had uh, firemen, had a diver, a deep diver, a Navy diver, everyone, horse rider, just a girl riding her bike. It, it's everybody. It, there's no personality difference. And culture and education and socioeconomic, all that stuff is just a moot. It's a moot point. It's a, right? it's a moot point to have had. I've had all all different, all of all different and all sorts. It tends to. One thing I have noticed is that culturally, at least in the American space, we don't have a lot of you know Spanish people coming out speaking about it unless they speak English. But in the Latin American space, when I started looking at near-death experiences in the Spanish space, which is what I've been doing now since we launched a channel in Spanish, there's hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands who are in that language. So even though a lot of people maybe watch a show like mine or something like that, and they don't see a lot of other representation, there's African-American, there's Asian, there's Hindu. I've had all, all walks of life, but it definitely skews more American because we're in America. Uh, but if you're in another country, they're going to, th- there's going to be, I, I argue the same amount of people in that language or that culture that's having them as well. But also culturally, you know, in some cultures, it's just not spoken about. They're not caught up to that point yet. You know, it's, it, 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 to be honest with you, it was taboo 10 years ago, 15 years ago. This conversation doesn't happen 15 years ago. Julie, you wouldn't have a show 15 years ago. Not like this and not so open and not so many of them out there like this. My show wouldn't have existed 15 years ago, not at the level that it is now. People are ready and wanting to hear about this information now. If you had to come up with a percentage of the population that experiences an NDE, do you have a number that floats into your head? I think the number I've heard floating around is like two, three percent, four percent of the population. It's a substantial amount. It is a substantial amount of people. We're talking about millions and millions and millions of people because our methods of resuscitation have gotten better. That's why there's so many right. more of these. That's the bottom line. It's the only reason there's more is because we can resuscitate people back from the dead. Where there is records of this in the Bible, there's records of this in Greece, there's records of this in India, but they're just few and far between because it's just, you know, they just didn't have CPR back then. They didn't have basic right. underst- basic things to resuscitate somebody. Uh, but yeah, there's a, it's a substantial amount now, very much so. Yeah, interesting. Why do you think we're in a situation now where people are hungry for this information? Oh, there's a there's a spiritual awakening happening on a planet. There's no question about talk, it. Talk to us about that. What do you think's going on there? I think that the consciousness of humanity is 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 growing. We are becoming more aware uh, of ourselves. Um, people are leaving organized religion in droves. Uh, people are looking for different answers, and they're becoming more critical of the answers that have been given to them by institutions that have been around for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. And people are just starting to look and search more because they're feeling it. They're feeling it within the planet. They're feeling it within the consciousness of humanity. A lot of the the negative things that are happening in the world today are a direct relation to that awakening. In other words, if there is something that needs to be healed, 
it needs to come out into the light. And it is not a pleasant experience. This is what has been told to me by so many different channelers and psychics and near-death experiences and people that have been on my show. Because I always ask, why is this? I mean, we're, we're in wars with, with beefs from thousands of years ago. Really, are we still arguing about this stuff? Are we still like, can't we just be human with each other? Can't, and, like, and it has to come out that way for people to just go, I'm not going to let that happen anymore. We have chosen not to do it. And, and if, you, if anyone questions that, just look at the way we treat ourselves now as a, as a species and how we treated ourselves 200 years ago, 300 years ago. You could have killed somebody for a bad deca, a bad uh, game, a game of poker, and no more would have looked twice at you. Now that's not acceptable anymore, in, in the society that we're in, you know. And one day we'll look at what we're doing now and go, "My God, they were barbaric." I mean, not everyone didn't have health care. They had you could bankrupt somebody because they get sick. That makes no sense, you know. And they're like, "What school used to cost? How much?" That doesn't. Mean, you know, just using those as an example, but I promise you, a hundred years from now, they'll look back at this time and they'll be like, "The absolute barbarians, absolute barbarians." As advanced as we think we are, we still have a long way to go, but we have come a long way from the days of Jesus. We're not crucifying people, generally speaking, not crucifying people. <laughs> uh, now we crucify them on Twitter, but um, <laughs> figuratively, not figuratively, literally, right? Exactly, yeah. and that's also something that's going to change as well. You know. Uh, as we continue to move forward, we're going to be good. You know, this is not enough. This is, it's enough of this anymore. We can't do it. It's happening. And this new generation coming up, the kids are being born. They're coming in wired so differently than my generation, your generation did. It, it, you can just see it. You know, I have kids. I see them in, in the way they approach life, the way they look at life, the way they, they just look at things that ha are happening. Like racism doesn't make any sense. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't. And they're like, no, but they, at a core level, they understood it. At a very deep level, my generation understood it. And, but the, it gets, I guess it gets not watered down, but a little bit more evolved from like where my grandparents, or like God forbid, great grandparents, how they thought about certain ideas to where we are now. I mean, I was walking, we were walking around Italy and we're going into churches and I had to, my wife had to put a shawl on because she had a, a t shirt on or, or like a, a or a, a tank top on, a normal-looking, non-sexy tank top, but she was wearing shorts, so she had to put some sort of something wrap around her legs and put a shawl on to walk into the church. That's how barbaric of an old idea they were still walking around. Like, women can't, you know, show off a shoulder. And this is a Catholic church. And, and I was just shocked that that was like, wow, these guys are still beating that drum. Okay. Good luck to you. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, exactly. Yeah. Well, and and the kids come in knowing so much more. Each generation is wiser and more evolved. I no question. I can't even tell you how many times I've seen a toddler that knows how to use an iPad way better oh, than I do, yeah. and they're yeah. not even verbal yet. <laughs> exactly. No question. You know, no you question. talk about they're wired. Yeah, they're wired for electronics too, and I and I think it's. I don't know that irresponsible. I think it's um, short-sighted when we say, well, these kids that are playing video games all the time, you know, they need to be studying something, something, whatever. 
And yet I've read the stories about how it lays the neural pathways in the brain that allows them to think differently and problem solve differently than those of us, perhaps you probably play video games with your kids, but but those of us that don't do that, and yet we look at it, and, and I think every generation does that. You know, my my parents hated rock and roll, and they were all about Frank Sinatra and the classics and stuff like that. And then you come into the punk rock, and you go into the whatever, and then you go into the rap, and you you know each generation's saying, "Oh, this music's terrible." Well, I mean, and then there's to be, always to be fair, something new. The, mu- the music today is terrible. I mean, let's just put it out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm there just, I'm, go. I'm going to be the old man. No, no, I'm joking. There's some great music out there now, but some of it's just like yeah. horrible. Um, like I'm, I'm a, I'm a Cher a has a new Christmas album out. You know, I heard. You see, Cher, you can't go wrong with Cher. But, uh, but yeah, I'm a purist, a rap purist. So I love rap. Uh, I love hip hop. But then, like the stuff that's going on today, I'm like, this is not. What is this? I'm the old guy now. Go. This is not real rap. And back then, rap was like the crazy you know outlay out you know outlier kind of thing but yeah they are definitely coming in rewired but look i i played video games when i was a kid i don't play them now anymore Uh, they don't have the same interest for me but when i was a kid i played nintendo like oh my god i mean i guess i my i would go blind like my eyes would blur out because i played so much video and so many video games and i'm okay (laughs) you know i watch watch tv you turned out I turned out okay. I mean, a lot of these myths, you know, just, just try to try to support your children in any way they what interests them, and try to find the good in what they're trying to do, hopefully, and and help with that. Um, that's the way I kind of approach things. You know, my kids now Roblox love Roblox, love Roblox. It's like this new video game building worlds, and they'll sit for hours watching how somebody else is building a house inside of this place, and I'm like. Well, they're learning construction. Yeah, <laughs> I mean they're learning. I mean, there's 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 stuff they're learning. I I heard a uh, Air Force general, I believe, I forget what branch of military say that the the kids can fly the helicopters now because they have those neural pathways in their brain that allows them to deal with the onboard computers and everything. Whereas somebody my age or perhaps even your age, we wouldn't be able to do it because our brains wouldn't get it because we didn't have the neural pathways laid. I just saw a movie. I just saw a movie yesterday called Grand Teresa, Torino, a tre- not Grand Torino, but Grand Turismo, which is a game, a true story about uh, a game simulator of the Grand Prix of racing. And it, it's like the most accurate representation simulation game ever created in the racing in the racing world and somebody had the crazy idea of allowing the best video game players ever to try to actually race in a real race and how these kids you know long story short it's based on a true story they won they 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 played so many these these tracks so many times they knew so much that they played they had thousands of hours in the simulation that their their pathways were just rocked in and everything physical they learned along the way, but they just they just literally became unstoppable. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah. I well, that's what pilots do, right? They go in the simulator. Correct. And they have to they have to do that a certain number of hours a year in order to get their licenses renewed. Yep. You say we're here for a short time to do our soul's work. Mm-hmm. Never allow fear to stop or slow down the 
process. Within yourself, you'll find a deeper connection to the universe. This is all the strength you will ever need. And I said that. I said that. You said that. See? That's not bad. That's not bad. I know. What do you see as your soul's work? Like if you had a mission statement, what is it? It's what I'm doing right now. It's what I'm doing right now. I, I my my job here is to um, share this information of spirituality, of different avenues of spirituality, of different avenues of the human story, the spiritual story, and place seeds around the world to as many people, to the billions of people around the world as I possibly can, um, through interviews and through other media strategies that I'll use in the future. But that's what I—that's what I'm here to do. It's what I'm happiest doing, and uh, there's no mistake or coincidence that I came in from the film industry. The amount of knowledge and experience I have in media, in post-production, in storytelling, and and not only that, I've also interviewed a thousand, literally a thousand of the biggest filmmakers and screenwriters in history. Uh, understanding their process, breaking down their stuff. So all this information is kind of in in me. It was kind of like a perfect storm to create the version of Alex that you see in front of you right now. And I always wonder, like, why did I have to go through the film business? If this was where I was supposed to go, why did I go down that path? I could have gone down a thousand other paths. I could have been a monk. I could have been this or that. But like, no, it. this is the path I needed to walk to get to this place and to go where we're going further. That's how I was able to launch a podcast about spirituality in three weeks because I already had yeah, all to, of this. to be able to package it so that yeah. it's well-received by your audience. And yeah, I also, so that I also, it resonates. And I also had to do a thousand episodes of another show for five or six years to get to the point where I could literally take the ball and run with it so quickly starting this new show because I just had you know, a thousand hours under my belt of interviewing people and understanding mm-hmm. that process and understanding the show and all that stuff. It, it's all perfectly set up. It's, you start looking back and only, only once you look back, can you understand the perfection of it all. When you're in it, it's difficult to, but when you look back right. and you go, oh, thank God I didn't go out with that lady. Oh God, thank God I didn't marry that chick. Oh, thank God I didn't take that job. I mean, you know, and at the time it might've been the worst thing that ever happened to you. You got fired, but because you got fired, you started your new business. When you started your new business and that turned into this, 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 it all works exactly the way it's supposed to. And if, if you can understand that and kind of allow that to happen for you, as opposed to to you, your life becomes a lot easier. I agree. And I think it's important to also say that you don't have to do a thousand interviews in order for your message to get out. For somebody who's a stay-at-home mom that is taking care of kids and all that, all those skill sets that you get being a mom, being a housewife, being a whatever, all are leading you on your path and everybody's path is different. I'd agree with you. It's not to say that you can't do what I'm doing because you didn't walk the same path as I am. It's just going to be different. No one's going to compete with me and I'm not going to compete with anybody else. I can't can't compete with being a stay-at-home mom. That's not my skill set, meaning that I I don't understand that world. So they could bring something through their life experience into into a show if this is where they wanted to go. 
into a show that I could never in a million years do. Just like when someone's trying to compete with me, they're like, you're losing, it's a losing battle. I can't compete with you. You can't compete with me because we are two very different people. We have very different life experiences. So we just have different paths to walk. And trust me, from someone who idolized so many different filmmakers along the way, like, oh, I wish I could be this guy because he got that. And I tried to walk down that path and it didn't work. And I tried, I, I studied all of these guys. And then I got, years later, got a chance to speak to many of them on my show and really understand the inner workings of what happened. And until, only until I started to make my own path did I start to gain any sort of success in anything I did in life. When I stopped trying to chase somebody else's path, because there is no way you can follow someone else's path. You could be inspired by somebody else's path, but you really need to figure that out, your path out by yourself. And by the way, I was inspired by other podcasters as well, who I've now met that I idolized when I was growing, uh, growing in this side of the business. And, and now a lot of them are asking me what to do. And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. I'm like, really? Yeah. Like, yeah. So it's fascinating how the, the world works. I, I agree. One last question as we're winding down here. Why do we incarnate? Oh, to learn, to grow, to experience things here. We grow faster here than we grow on the other side. We will grow on the other side, but it's just, it's kind of like an intellectual exercise versus a physical exercise. I can teach you how to, I can talk to you about how to cook, but until you get into the kitchen and you start cracking an egg and putting seasoning together and testing it and feeling it and feeling the heat and burning your hand and cutting your finger because you were chopping onions, until you get into that experience, you really aren't going to learn. You learn so much faster by being in it than talking about it or intellectually thinking about it. So. On the other side, there are lessons to learn, but here, this is this is the Ph. This is PhD. This is it's the highest level schooling on the in the universe, to my understanding. It's very difficult down here, um, and you're going to learn so much faster. I was talking to a near death experiencer. He was such a great story. He's walking around heaven, and this other spirit that he knows walks up to him and goes, "What have you been doing? I want what you have." He goes oh, I've been spending time down on earth. And he goes, oh my God, I want a piece of that. He goes, be careful. It's not easy down there. It is rough. It's kind of like when you you see an old friend from college and they look fantastic. They got shredded. They're, they got a six pack. They're all beefed up. Their skin is perfect. They're like, what are you doing? He goes, I've been eating right and working out. He goes, oh, I want whatever you've got. I'm like, well, it's not easy. You know, eating clean and working out every day. And it's a lot of work, but this is the results of it. Same thing here. We come down here to learn multiple lessons in a lifetime. Sometimes our lifetimes are five minutes long. Sometimes our lifetimes a hundred years, you know. And we learn lessons. They don't. They don't have to be grand missions. It could be as simple as to help another soul out, help another soul out, teach another soul, be the other soul's mother, brother, um, boyfriend, girlfriend, sister, brother, whatever that is. Until that soul's job's done. Maybe their death is the next last lesson. Like, oh, I'm here to teach you empathy because I'm going to pass. And this is a lesson you wanted to learn. So I came down here to do you a solid. Uh, and and then we can talk about soul groups and things like that. But uh, but you're here yeah. to learn. You're here to learn. You're here to grow. And I, I truly believe that we are God's algorithms in many ways. That we are, because an algorithm in its nature is pre-programmed to do a few things. But once you let it loose, it kind of does its own 
thing in a predetermined direction. But how it does it, it really is up to the algorithm. So I think that's very much us. We are set down here as with a plan, a soul plan, but how we get there, you know, there are points on the map that we got to get to, but how we get there is really truly up to us with our free will. So it's a very exciting, scary and dangerous and fun and exhilarating experience. Life is the ultimate, the ultimate journey, the ultimate path, um, the ultimate party, the ultimate funeral, the ultimate everything. It, it's all encompassed in one thing. But we are here at the end of the day to learn and to grow and to be just to learn lessons. And I think that's, and you keep coming back to learn new ones and learn new ones. Not because you have to, because you want to. Because once you get a taste of it down here, you want to come back down, you want to learn, maybe you take a break. I've heard of vacation lives. I don't know if you've heard about vacation lives. We're like, you know, I had this little, last three lives have been rough. I, can I just be like, like, I don't want to think about anything. I just want to kind of like sit on a yacht somewhere and eat and drink in the Mediterranean. Is that cool? Can I do that? I've heard of these lives. I think this, that's fantastic. Uh, I'm not going to learn a whole lot this year, this time. I just want to kind of enjoy earth. Can I do that? So there's those, that, there's those lives as well. Yeah. I'm sure people listening going, uh, I want one of those lives right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're here to create. You know, we create, 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 and then what do we do? We die, we go back to heaven, then we do. We create our next life of what we want to experience and explore. Right. Next round. How can people find out more about you and your work? Uh, best way to hold is nextlevelsoul.com. Uh, I'm not difficult to find. Uh, nextlevelsoul.com. If you type in Next Level Soul on Google, our YouTube page comes up, uh, which is where where all of these interviews are housed. If you listen to audio, they're on all the major podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google, all those places. Uh, but nextlevelsoul.com is kind of like the hub of everything. So you can go there. And I got to be on your show, which was so much fun and yes, such an honor. So I'm delighted that you took the time to return the favor and, and to be on our show and share some of your wisdom with of all course, of us. Of course. Alrighty, everybody. Sending you lots of love from Sweet Home Alabama. Mwah. And from Texas, too, where Alex says, we'll see you next time. Be well. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to follow Julie on Instagram and YouTube at Ask Julie Ryan. And like her on Facebook at Ask Julie Ryan. To schedule an appointment or submit a question, please visit AskJulieRyan.com. This show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be medical, psychological, financial, or legal advice. Please contact a licensed professional. The Ask Julie Ryan Show, Julie Ryan and all parties involved in producing, recording, and distributing it assume no responsibility for listeners' actions based on any information heard on this or any Ask Julie Ryan shows or podcasts.